occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. <laughs> hey, welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 86. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your ghostesses on this chilly autumn day. It is getting frosty. It is. I heard a thing in a podcast that said, if you talk about the weather, your podcast is dying. <laughs> We've been talking about this since day one, so have we constantly been dying? <laughs> Ugh. I think that makes sense. It does. Um, what are you talking about today? This week I'll be talking about The Night Witches, which is a historic story that isn't quite how it sounds. Interesting. How about you? I'm talking about the radium girls and the use of radioactive materials. I love this. Mm, what a weird thing to say. No, but it's so interesting. Uh, yeah, it is incredibly oh, interesting. Oh, I'm hyped for you. Have you got any news before we get into that? I do, yes. This week's news is from MysteriousUniverse.org and Patch.com, and it's definitely creepy. In Illinois, there's a place called Archer Woods Cemetery, which is in Hickory Hills. I know it all sounds very Haunted Mansion-esque. Ooh, Hickory Hills. Yeah, it's but like a ham. Stick, <laughs> stick with it. Haunted hams. Yeah. This particular cemetery is renowned in the local area as being haunted by a weeping lady. Apparently, as people are leaving, they can hear a woman crying very loudly, and some have reported an accompanying mist by the gates. Ooh, very, mist. Very Vampire Diaries season one. Mm. This doesn't seem overly weird, because lots of people cry in a cemetery, right? Like, That's a place to cry. Yeah. It sounds kind of hard to believe it's a ghost, but... On October 16th, bear in mind, I did this research last week, so this wasn't quite so outdated, but then Abby was like, let's just push it back. I couldn't do it last week. <laughs> Someone named Kathy was on a ghost tour run by the Graveside Paranormal Company, and she decided to take a photo of the creepy gate that the reports were surrounding. Afterwards, she finished up the tour and went home. So it wasn't until the next day, when she was going through the photos, she noticed there was a figure standing behind the left pillar. Ooh. She showed this to Neil Gibbons and Steve Lineweber, the owners of Graveside Paranormal. And Neil even tried like changing the exposure and stuff to make sure like no one was messing with him. It stood up to his tests though, and it does look like there is a creepy figure lurking behind the gate. That's terrifying. Yeah, so if you wanna if you wanna go get creeped the heck out. Maybe she's just lonely. Maybe she just, yeah, wants a friend. Just hang out with her and see what happens. Do you think she's crying over a loss or do you think she's crying over her loss? Oh, like because she's died? Yeah. Um, I don't know because I think it seems kind of fun to be a ghost. I think I would be in it for the drama, in it for the narcissism. I'd be crying over my own grave. Mm. You know, just to freak people Just out. so someone is crying over your grave in case nobody else does. Oh, wow. Oh, I very will. offensive very quickly. I will, Kate. Just because no one else is going to be there. It's going to be in tatters. It's going to be in ruins. See, this is one of those things, again, where in my head, I have thought something and we've not communicated it. So now you think I'm a terrible person. <laughs> Your grave I is covered in moss and bugs. <laughs> I was imagining it like a hundred years in the future. You know what? Everyone you love. The day after you die, no one's going to be there. <laughs> At your funeral, you're the only person there. <laughs> no, oh you know what God. I mean. That's what I was thinking. That's brilliant. I was imagining, like, she's from the Victorian era. Yeah. Everyone has passed away. Oh, she's I know the what only you person meant. left. Yeah. She's doing it because someone has to. Someone's got to cry over me, and it ain't going to be you. Yeah. 
What if, if I'm a ghost, do you want to make a pact that if we're ghosts together, I'll cry over you and you can cry over me? Fine, yeah, but can I as well cry over me? Yeah, I'm going to haunt people. Uh, See, my whole plan was to haunt you, so. Oh, are you dying now? I'm doomed. Yeah. (laughs) This is that, the podcast is about Kate. We're filming on Kate's deathbed. Shortly passing away. Okay, let's get into the Radium Girls. Woohoo! Sources are mentalfloss.com. Live Science, Live Science, we'll never know. Ranker, Wikipedia, Britannica, NPR.org, and CNN Style. So, like many people, I find radiation, radiation poisoning, obviously extremely terrifying, but also very fascinating. I know that sounds super specific, but because you said the same thing, mm-hmm. we both kind of vibe on this level. Yeah. There's just something about it. It's like such an insane concept. I just find it so interesting. Also, just like dark history in general. So, in 1917, a company called the Radium Luminal Material Corporation, which was later changed to just the Radium Corporation, which is a bit easier to say, um, they were extracting and purifying radium. So, radium was discovered by Marie and um, Pierre Curie in 1898. So, now I have such a hard time saying that sentence. Marie uh, um, Curie. Okay, I've never heard her before. Are you scared of her? Several years later, her and a French chemist named André the bean were able to isolate pure radium. The bean. I didn't say the bean. The bean. In modern times, we know that radium is extremely radioactive and dangerous. But back in 1917, when the radium company were extracting it, it was used for everyday objects. It was thought to have magical healing properties because it glowed in the dark. And people thought that it was just a really fun novelty because of this as well. Mm-hmm. It was used in water. And it was said to cure wrinkles and arthritis, so you could buy, like, radium water. Yeah. It was also used to make chocolate, which boasted the same benefits. You could also get it in toothpaste, face powders, and creams that were said to brighten the skin and the teeth. Oh, God, it makes you so uncomfortable knowing now. Exactly. That's why I think I find it so interesting. Any sort of um, history where they were using things that you just should not have been using, it makes me just feel absolutely ridiculously disgusting but like it's just so fascinating so this became so popular that you could go to a radium health spa in the 1920s and people would visit to soak in radium mud apply the cosmetics and bathe in radium water apparently you can still do this in some places i have no idea why you would want to but you know it was also used for cancer treatment and it was used in toys and nightlights for its little glow-in-the-dark abilities and it was also used for watches. So glow-in-the-dark watches were extremely popular because they didn't require any type of charge and it would just show you the time at any time of day. I mean, I get it, you know. It's a mm. brilliant invention. It was kind of like magic. They thought it was so fascinating. Oh, yeah. And it was beautiful. Yeah. So factories were created to make these amazing glow-in-the-dark watches and they were opened in 1917. The brand name was called Undark, which kind of does what it says on the tin, you know, smart name. It was very popular with the military, and the Radium Corporation initially hired 70 women to help create the watches. It was a well-paid and glamorous job because they were creating this really exciting product, and they were also listed as artists in the town directories, which obviously is a pretty nice perk. Yeah, well, also, like, you've got access to, like, this green goo that is supposedly really good for you. Like, Mm -hmm. catch me slathering that on my hands. Exactly. So the number of employees soon rose to around 4,000, and they were, they were mostly women. 
You had your own little cubicle on a desk to paint. The rate of pay for a painting, 250 watches a day, which was kind of the standard, was about a penny and a half per watch. And the modern day equivalent is about £16 an hour. Wow. The material was also the most expensive substance in the world at this point. Yeah. The equivalent of about £1.6 million for one gram in today's money. So because of the joys of the job, they often encouraged their friends and families to join them. The job included various tasks, but primarily they were asked to paint the delicate dials of the watches with radium so that, you know, you could see the dials in the dark. The brushes were really small and the women were told it was completely safe to use their lips to point the brushes to get more of a specific brush stroke. Yikes. So it was kind of encouraged to do that you know obviously you get a better job if you're doing that well it would be like no one knows and if people are drinking radium water you're never going to consider that this is particularly dangerous so with each brush stroke they painted they were unknowingly ingesting an extremely toxic material radium hadn't been around that long and it wasn't fully understood yet but it was becoming increasingly popular so factory and science science owners scientists and factory owners were still very cautious with it because they didn't know too much about it So they were using tongs and gloves and masks to handle it. But the girls were told it was perfectly fine to just touch it and eat it, I guess. As I said, they were encouraged to use the mouths to shape the brushes for more precise jobs. Yeah, and like it's not even that they were just attacking these girls being like, it's fine, you know, work harder. It's like rich people like smothering themselves in it. Oh, yeah, it did get to that point. But at this point, yeah, it was just it was just an innocent job. When they were joining the company, obviously they weren't dumb. They did say, is this safe? And they were told, yes, this is completely safe. Mm -hmm. And obviously it doesn't matter because the company's going to tell you it's fine regardless of what they know. Yeah, there's not exactly like a standardised like vetting procedure for radium at this point. Exactly. And obviously they're sat there for the whole day painting these watches. And it's fun, it's glow-in-the-dark, it's expensive. So many of them were painting it onto their nails, their teeth, their faces. Some of them were painting their whole body because they wanted to to be pretty, glow-in-the-dark, so exciting, it's a novelty, you know. They would also wear their going-out dresses to work because the dust in the air would settle on your clothes. So when they went out in the night, they would be, like, shimmering and, and pretty. But radiation pro- uh, poisoning is a slow process, so it took a few years before people started to realise something was wrong. By that point, it's too late. Exactly. In the 1920s, several of the girls started developing toothaches and experienced fatigue. The girls were visiting the dentist more with symptoms of loose teeth, ulcers and jaw pain. Molly Madger was the first woman to die in 1922 after enduring a year of pain. This part is kind of uncomfortable, but when she went to the doctor, he removed her jawbone just by simply lifting it out because it had become so brittle the radium was destroying the bone and creating holes in the jaws of the women while they were still alive. With some of them, like if they touched their face, their jaw would crumble. But her death was listed as syphilis. She was actually suffering from a condition known as radium jaw. Radium jaw affected those consuming radium, and one popular case of it affected American golfer Eben Byers. So he was taking large doses of radioactive medicine water, Before it was obvious that it made him very ill, he was taking this all the time, and eventually the Wall Street Journal ran a story on him titled, The Radium Water Worked Fine Until His Jaw Fell Off. Despite the death of Molly, the factory had yet to do anything to prevent its workers from getting ill or dying. By 1924, 50 women who had worked in the factory were ill, 
and several more had died. The company continued to urge the death record to say that the women had died from syphilis to keep their reputation good and kind of smear the reputation of the women so they wouldn't do anything. Mm. They were aware at this point that what they were doing was dangerous, but obviously they didn't want to lose any business. This was a really big thing. It's a company at the end of the day. Apparently a woman named Grace Fryer began to feel very weak and her teeth started falling out, so she went to her doctor. Her doctor told her that he might have something to do with her work. He suggested that the company investigated further. The company agreed and they sent a young doctor to take a look at Grace and she was examined. The doctor confirmed that she was in good health and he sent her on her way. However, it was later revealed that this man was not a doctor. He was actually one of the vice presidents for the company and he was just covering it up. Yeah. Which is crazy that like in this time you didn't have to like show any documentation. They were just like, that man's a doctor. And she was like, okay. But who are you going to show it to? That is true. Do you know what I mean? Like her? Like she's probably not going to ask. She probably wants a job and also wants to believe that she's healthy. That is true. In 1925 though, Grace decided she was going to sue the radium company and she spent several years searching for a lawyer because nobody wanted to take on this company. Well, yeah, they're huge and they have a lot of money. Exactly. But in 1927, she finally filed her case along with four other workers, Edna Hussman, Catherine Shahoub, Quinta MacDonald and Albina Larice. This became huge news around the world, but it wasn't taken very seriously and the company didn't listen to their complaints, which is like crazy in hindsight. However, it wasn't long before someone on the inside turned against the company. Good. So in 1928, the creator of the Undark Radium Paint, his name was Dr. Saban von Zochocki, the radium poison had affected his hands. So before this, he thought that it was safe. He claimed it was safe. He'd sort of been on the side of the company. Obviously, he created the paint. Yeah. But he came forward to admit that he was wrong, and he said that he would help the women in court to sue the company because they knew something was, was up. There was enough evidence because of this man for the media and the company to take it seriously. And he died later that year, but that was enough to sort of push the case forward. When they were at court, many of the women were losing teeth at a rapid rate and some were unable to walk and some were too weak to even attend. So the company tried to push the date back so more of them would die. Yeah. So they wouldn't be able to, to get any compensation. It's a clever move, like, but also you're a dickhead. So. Oh, it's massively unethical. But yeah. they were they were trying to be smart about it, yeah. Eventually, everyone kind of got on that they were doing this. So the, the date was pushed forward and they won the settlement. So in 1928, they began receiving protective gear and they were instructed not to touch or put the paint in their mouths. All women continued to sue, but the company appealed several times, and then they stopped appealing in 1939. So the death certificates began stating the correct form of death, and they received compensation. So each one was awarded like £100,000 straight up in today's money, obviously not back then. And they were also given money per year, as long as they were alive. And do they were also given medical expenses. Sorry? Sorry, do you think they went back and changed the other ones? Cause of death? I don't know. It didn't say anything about that. Because you should, right? Like, if you found out. I guess, but I think they were only doing it to the women who were, like... I know, yeah. But maybe. they died because of it. They you know died, what I mean? Yeah. Like, the original one who has, like, syphilis down. I don't know. It wasn't syphilis. <laughs> Possibly. The Food and Drug Administration began the deceptive packaging of radium products and it stopped being used for watching for watch painting in 1968, which is... Quite late, but like it is. They were That's using crazy. Gear. Yeah, it's interesting to think like what other things were happening in 1968. 
It was a year before my dad was born. Yeah. My mum was alive. While the women were given protective gear after this, once you'd ingested radium, obviously it's there until you die. Many of them who didn't have such severe issues did get cancer later in life. So you can't obviously know if that's directly caused from it, but it is likely to have done something to you anyways. Well, it's part of what I think about, like, when you look at kind of, like, causes of death now, like, obviously cancer's up there. Like, no wonder. Yeah. We were fucking around with this glow-in-the-dark pain. And that's only one thing. Yeah, like, there are, there so, are so many, many things others. in history where, we, where people were just unknowingly consuming or, you know, painting with all of this random stuff. But like, even now, we still create a lot of stuff. It's like, not to be one of those guys, but it's like mobile phones. Yeah. You know, the long-term effects of, like, everything, you know. Yeah, and, like, that's completely normal. Yeah. And it's probably fine, because science today is much more advanced, but... Back in, in, in these times, and any time in history, really. like True, but like they probably thought that their science was advanced. That is true. Because it was more advanced than it was. You just never know. Yeah. And I think it's more scary with man-made things as well, because like, why do we even have that? Yeah, or, or like, like... man-discovered items, I guess. Well, yeah, like what I find scary is like new elements. Yeah. Like why, why is it new? Yeah. We don't have a clue what that is. That yeah, shouldn't, you shouldn't be touching that. Leave it alone. Just pretend yeah. you never saw it and go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so terrifying. I'd be such a good scientist. Yeah, you don't make any money because you just ignore everything. No, not at all. Everyone's like, oh, let's go on an expedition. Don't take Kate. Yeah, she's going to ruin it all for us. <laughs> In the 50s, many of the women agreed to be studied by scientists. And we owe a lot of our knowledge about radium from these studies because they volunteered to be part of like many invasive studies. We also have better workplace safety as a result of this. And in World War II, the government had established safety limits on handling radium. So they did, this did greatly improve safety and, and science. But obviously, it is a huge loss regardless. Now, would you like to end on a positive note or a terrifying one? Hmm. Give me the terrifying first, then the positive. So many of the remains of the radium girls glow in their coffins. Wow. One woman was exhumed to prove that she had died of radiation poisoning after her death certificate said syphilis, and they discovered that her remains were still faintly glowing. That's crazy. So the half-life of radium is 1,600 years, so it still exists in their remains. And this was also proven by a scientist walking over the graves of some of the girls with a Geiger counter, mm-hmm. proving that their bodies are still radioactive. Wow, and we've just buried them like normal. Yeah, they're just buried in their coffins, but they glow. They're radioactive people. I have a question um, about the watches. Do they not make you sick if you have them on your arm? I was thinking this. Because. Surely, right? Why were you still allowed to buy them? Hmm. Hmm. Like, are they all out of circulation? I don't know. Well, I know for a fact that they're not because the other day on TikTok, <laughs> I oh, saw. a great source of information. I know, I saw um, someone had found some radium water. Some some of the water that was being sold as like a health tonic. Yeah, like it it had just been passed down. This radioactive water, they just had it. Yeah, they were like, huh, look. And I was like, should you not be wearing something? I guess if you're not directly touching the substance, though. I suppose, but with watch, do you know what I mean? Yeah, the watch is a, is an interesting one. I understand if it's just like the dials. It is just the dials, but it feels just a little too close for comfort. Yeah, I don't think I would want to wear it or have mm. it in the house. I think I would like it locked away so that I could see it. You yeah. Know, like behind a glass case. 
Is a watch not behind a glass case? A glass, uh, a watch is its own museum. Whoa, for time. dude. Yeah. Not everybody died a horrible death, though. In fact, one woman named May Keen died in 2014, aged 107. Wow, radium to bits for her. May was hired in 1924, and she never particularly enjoyed the work. She said that... Good for her. She would never put the brush on her mouth because she didn't like the gritty taste of the radium. So she said that she was never going to do it, even though they told her to. And she only worked there for a short amount of time before her boss was like, do you want to quit? Because it seems obvious you don't like it here. And she was like, yeah, I would love to do that. Thank you. So then she she left. She said that she did suffer from cancer and sore teeth in her life, but she has no way of knowing whether that's because of the radium or whether that's just, you know, life. Wow. Um, she also said that she wished that she could go and thank her boss for offering to let her go because it did save her life. That's also, living crazy. to 107 is an amazing achievement regardless. Right. But because of, like, I mean, that could have ended horribly for her, you know? Yeah. If I mean, she did just decide to stick it out. Off. Yeah. Wow. But I thought that was really interesting. Wow. Thank you so much. That's okay. I love that story. I love hearing about the Radium Girls. It's so interesting. It is very interesting. And it's so recent. Mm -hmm. Like, you just don't think it. Yeah. Wow. I would love to talk about more random substances and things like that. Mm. Ooh, oil. I would love to talk about crude oil. <laughs> no, like just things that, <laughs> things in history that we thought were okay and then were horribly not okay. People just did stuff. Yeah. People did, in fact, just do stuff. People did stuff back in the day. Mm. No way. People were just out here doing stuff. <laughs> People truly out here. It's ridiculous. Don't it do is. anything. <laughs> Don't do anything. Yeah. Oh, one thing you should do is follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. <laughs> Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Myths Magic Pod. And if you want to head over to Patreon and get some cool video content, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Myths Magic Murder. Over on Patreon, you can see our beautiful faces. We just posed. Uh, additionally, you can see what can you see? Extra, Extra content. Stuff. Yeah, we give you it. We can chit chat to you. Yeah, you can pay as much or as little as you want a month. All goes towards the show to help us buy for new equipment. Yeah, it does. It's a great time. You should have a great time with us over on Patreon. Also, you get ten percent off of our merch. Our merch is available on mitsmagicandmurder.com. Also on our website, we've got our referrals and submissions thing. So if you've got any stories that you've heard of that you want to, you know, tell us to cover great check it on there and if you've got anything that's happened to you that you're like god this was weird let us know we love to hear it i love weird stuff also if you have any haunted happenings terrifying tales or spooky stories you can email over on mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com all right tell me about your thing no my sources are the atlantic wikipedia history.com right museum and all that's interesting.com so the Night Witches are not so much witches, as they are just absolutely badass women. Nice. But I was, like, psyched to cover them. I was like, I don't care what Abby says, I'm covering these. I'm sure you'll love it, nonetheless. I was confused because um, Kate was like, oh, I'm covering this, and I was like, okay, witches, cool. So I was trying to find a witch story, and then I googled Kate, and I was like, all I'm finding is this, like, completely irrelevant thing on the internet, and I can't figure out why. Um... And then you asked me, and I was like, yeah, it's that irrelevant thing. And I was like, okay, I'll just find something, I guess, even vaguely similar. <laughs> yeah. So, the Night Witch's given name was the 588th Night Bomber Regiment, 
and they were with the Soviet Air Forces during the height of World War II. If you don't know what World War II is, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, and have you been living under a rock? Synopsis? Big war. Huge. The second. The second of the huge wars. Two world, two war. <laughs> don't too fast, too furious, this. You might be thinking, hang about, I thought you said these were women. They weren't allowed to fight in the Air Force combatively, were they? No, they weren't. But these women were. Because Major Marina Raskova, also known as the Soviet Amelia Earhart, used her position and the fact that she had close personal contacts with Stalin at the time to basically shove her way in and leave the door open for the rest of her regiment. Nice. She left Major, now bear with me, Yevdokia Bershanskia in charge of the regiment. And it was made of just young female volunteers who were either in their late teens or early 20s. If that weren't scary enough, they were mainly mad as hell and looking for revenge because a lot of them had lost brothers, fathers, homes, villages or lovers because of the war. So from the get-go, they were a force to be reckoned with. Out of over 2,000 applications, the Night Witches were whittled down to 400 women to be split over three units, the 586th, 587th and 588th regiments. So, as I said, I'm going to be talking mainly about the 588th because they had that really cool name. Fair enough. They weren't exactly welcomed into the military, though. A lot of men saw them as inferior and refused to treat them with the same level of respect as they, as they expected. They were dressed in second-hand uniform rather than new tailored uniforms, and their shoes were too big because they didn't make women's sizes, so they had to like cut up their bed sheets and stuff them in the end of their shoes. They also weren't given guns and radios the same way men were. They were just expected to make do with rulers and flashlights and maps. Which is crazy, because yeah. <laughs> the missions they took on were insane. The Night Witches took on the German military from 1942 to the end of the war, and their sort of overall mission was precision bombing. Their very first mission was on June 28, 1942, where they took to the air and successfully hit the headquarters of the Nazi forces. Oh my goodness. Yeah, which was incredible, because they had to learn everything in just a few months, and sort of the whole... Everything that they learn overall normally took most soldiers several years to grasp. Sick. Get it. Overall, they dropped 3,000 tons of bombs, as well as 26,000 incendiary shells. If this wasn't insane enough, let me tell you how they orchestrated their attacks against enemy targets. So the bombers would go during the night, but... They had to idle their engines of the planes when they got near the targets and just glide the whole aircraft towards the bomb release point. The only noise that identified these women to enemies was the sound of the wind whooshing around the planes. Ooh. The German soldiers noted that it sounded like witches on broomsticks, which is how the regiment earned their name, the Night Witches. Interesting. The Germans had their theories about how the Night Witches were so good, with some saying they were all criminals who were masters at stealing, so they were on the front line as punishment. Another theory was that they'd been given special serums that could enable them to see in the night. Ooh, super soldiers. The truth was, though, they were just really pissed off women. <laughs> <laughs> the most dangerous thing of all. Right. They would travel in packs, 
with the first planes acting as a kind of bait to the enemy to like alert them they were there. So once the soldiers had trained their spotlights to the air, it would actually help the witches because they needed the illumination to see where they were going to drop the bombs. Wow. Then they would drop their two bombs per plane on the target and get out of there, physically ducking into their planes away from enemy gunfire. Plus, because the planes, sorry, the bombs were so heavy and the soldiers were only flying in wood and canvas biplanes, also known as coffins with wings. They weren't allowed to take parachutes with them for two years of these missions because they couldn't take any unnecessary weight. Nice. For reference, these planes were intended for training purposes and crop dusting, not being a bomber plane. Obviously, that raised some issues with the women, because they weren't made for attacks and they stood no chance against German aircraft. However, because the Night Witch's planes were so slow and light, they were able to outsmart the German pilots. The maximum speed of the Night Witches was still lower than the stall speed. Oh my goodness, stall speed of the other aircraft, and they were much lighter. I so, guess you wouldn't expect them to be in that, so no. you wouldn't prepare for it at all. So they could outmaneuver anyone because the Germans physically couldn't go that slow. Otherwise, their plane would just yeah. Your training bomb. is not going to prepare you to take down a crop duster. No. Why would it do that? <laughs> Planes too. <laughs> no. Plus, since they were so little and flew so low, they wouldn't appear on enemy radar, giving them the element of surprise, thus why they were described as ghosts. Also, you couldn't fucking hear them. All you could hear was some wind. That's terrifying. The night witches were so feared throughout the German forces that soldiers refrained from lighting a cigarette at night so they wouldn't be targeted. And if anyone could down one of the aircraft, they were immediately awarded an iron cross. Which is, like, a badge of honour. So that sounds simple, right? Because when a bombing run was completed by a night witch, they had to return to sort of their, like, ground base, stock up, and go back. So they had eight or more missions on one night because they could only carry two bombs per plane. So you can hit them, right? They're there a lot. You've got a better chance. It's not like one and done. They're coming back. You can still shoot them. One of the witches, Nadezhda Popova, was a commander of the squad. She flew 18 missions in one night. Oh my god. But the only person who successfully like made a real dent in the work the witches were doing was Josef Kosyok, who managed to shoot down three or four airplanes on the night of the 31st of July to the 1st of August, 1943, meaning that the regiment had to ground themselves for the rest of the night. Also, every single thing seems to have been against the night witches, right? Yeah. They had no radar, multiple missions a night, didn't have speed, they could be tossed around by the wind because the planes were so light. Their feet would freeze in their boots in winter because it was just them, a canvas and wood plane, and the wind. If they touched the outside of the plane in cold weather, it could tear their flesh clean off. Oh my goodness. And if the pyrotechnic tracer bullets successfully hit the plane, they would become a ball of fire instantly. Nice, that's horrific. This didn't stop those ladies, though. 
On one occasion, Nadezhda Popova said that after a mission, she counted 42 bullet holes throughout different parts of the plane. Then she found holes in her map. Finally, when she took off her helmet, she realized there were bullet holes in that too. Oh my wow. But she was fine. Sick. Another pilot had to continue her mission and did so successfully after the bottom of her plane was destroyed by enemy fire. So she was just holding on. Just loose. Yeah. Wow. Not only were they badass enough to actually do the missions, they threw their femininity into the face of adversity from their male colleagues. They would decorate their planes with flowers and use navigation pencils as makeshift makeup. Love that. Just to piss them off. Good. <laughs> These if incredible anyone bothers you, piss them off. Right? These incredible women completed around 23,672 combat missions, logging around 28,676 hours of flight time. They damaged or destroyed 17 river crossings, 9 railways, 2 railway stations, 26 warehouses, 12 fuel depots, 176 armoured cars, 86 prepared firing positions, 11 searchlights, and made 155 supply drops of food and ammunition to Soviet forces. They scared German forces to death and disrupted their sleep, which affected their abilities to fight all while losing only 30 of their soldiers throughout the years they operated. 23 of these women won the Hero of the Soviet Union Award, which was like the highest honour. Mm -hmm. Two won Heroes of the Russian Federation Award, and one won the Hero of Kazakhstan Award. Unfortunately, the creator of it all, Marina Roskova, died in action in January 1943, so wasn't able to see what amazing things she set into motion by creating the regiment, but she must have known she was doing something absolutely mad. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, she had the first state funeral of World War II and her ashes were buried in the Kremlin. Wow. And after the war, they were disbanded because they didn't see the need for precision bombers um, anymore. But that was the Night Witches. That is very interesting. Right? Absolutely mad. I was like, Abby's going to love this. She's not going to understand why I'm covering it. No. But it's great. Just a bit of fun history. Yeah. Wow. Really, you, really cool you know? people. Yeah. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Now I've learned a thing. You have. Now when that comes up in pub quiz, you're going to smash it. Yep. We're going to know things. We are. I always think this. I'm like, this, this podcast, help me with the quiz. See, I forget everything as soon as we stop recording. Me too, but I would love to think that I won't. <laughs> I would you... love to be like, I know all the dates because I've just written them down and said them. If you can just remember yours, I'll try and remember mine. Ask when radium was discovered. When was radium discovered? I have no idea. <laughs> 1989? You've still got the notes in front of you. Ah, see, this is the problem. <laughs> no brain. Brain, sieve. Brain equal sieve. 1998. 1898. 1998? <laughs> Are you joking? You I and am radium, radium were baby. discovered <laughs> the, same, the same year. That was a wild year for science. They were like, oh, wow, the world's ugliest baby. It's and crazy radium. because they shut down the, the watch factory in 1968. So it was it was discovered 30 years after that. I like that you just brushed over that and called you the world's ugliest baby. Wow. First you say no one's going to visit me at my cemetery. <laughs> now you're calling me the world's ugliest baby. And that is a wrap. If you, if you love me and hate Kate or love Kate and hate me, give us a nice review on Apple itunes podcasts because we would love to see that that twinkling five stars if you hate us both don't bother 
Yeah. And if you love us both, don't bother. <laughs> oh, yeah. You only have to fit into one of those very specific categories. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, you're not allowed. Also. Don't listen. Then you say the outro. Don't listen before bed. <laughs> listen before bed. <laughs>